Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 178 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Our autumn feeding continues, I'm uniting weaker colonies and we've even had a September swarm. Beekeeping Short and Sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. I'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by Simon the Beekeeper. Making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone, Simon the Beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible, along with a super fast delivery service. The bees won't wait, so their customers don't have to either. Visit the website at www simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome to another weekly podcast and my beekeeping week this week has been another varied and somewhat interesting period for this time of the year. The weather has settled down into a more autumnal feel with daytime temperatures hovering around a more average 20 degrees Celsius and although the sun still has some heat in it, the days are definitely shortening quickly and nighttime temperatures are falling to near single digits. The mornings are also showing signs of autumn. It's a little hazy first thing and I'm sure some early morning fog will start to appear over the coming days. It's still quickly burnt away though by the strength of the sun, but it's been noticeable that the grass in some of the apiaries isn't drying out as quickly as a few weeks ago. The autumn feeding continues. As usual, it's been a mixed bag, with some colonies taking down a 14 kilogram jerry can of feed in a week, while others have just taken half a can over the same period of time. I like to get as much of the feeding done by the end of September if I can. It gives me a chance to get the inner covers off the feeders so the bees can get into the nearly dry feeders and take every last drop of syrup. This has two benefits for me really. Firstly, the bees get to take every gram of syrup. I'm not wasting any as it's money already spent. And secondly, it means there's less to wash out when we remove them and get them back to base for cleaning. That's a full day of hot soapy water and a rinse dry before being taken back to the unit for safe storage until next time. I really like the Maysmore Green Jumbo Feeders but they need to be kept out of the sun to hopefully keep them in great shape and not let the sun perish that plastic material. If you look after the equipment that you have it will last a lifetime I've no doubt and let's face it none of this kit is cheap so why not take care of it and save yourself some money and help reduce waste. One of the important tasks of this part of the season is assessing and uniting colonies where needed. I've touched on this previously but it's really important if you have any number of colonies. Attempting to nurse weak or small colonies through the winter is, as I have found to my cost, time-consuming and a drain on resources, namely syrup, treatments and therefore cash. It's sometimes a difficult decision, but I've been fairly determined this year to get them united as early as possible. So we head into winter with strong colonies that can take the colder months ahead without any problem. 
Several of my national colonies have been doubled up already, with more to follow, I suspect. It's a challenge every year. Autumn assessments can be really tricky, and the reason for this is that not all colonies cope with our winters in the same way. Now there's a surprise. Larger colonies can quickly eat their way through stores and if not monitored closely, can starve. Late mated queens can become drone layers, yet smaller colonies can sometimes manage on what seems like a cupful of bees all winter long, eat barely any food and come through unscathed and full of vigour in the spring. If only I had an apiary full of those. This, of course, isn't at all helpful for the beginner beekeeper who just wants to know exact numbers so they can get their bees through and enjoy a full season next year. Wouldn't it be great if I could just simply list an exact number of, say, six seams of bees and 20 kilos of stores, that kind of thing? Unfortunately, it's just not possible, and anyone who tells you that they can guarantee success with a specific set of numbers hasn't been keeping bees long enough. That's not to say you can't hedge your bets, as it were. A larger number of bees in the hive is better than fewer bees. More syrup stored is better than less. I've overwintered countless nukes on just three seams of bees. That's to say, when you look down into the nuke, the gap between two frames is what I'm calling a seam. So the box doesn't have to be full and bursting. Remember that you can also add more fondant to feed as you go through the winter, so feeding shouldn't be a problem either. This week I've united three colonies, two because they were small, and by that I mean in a brood box they occupied just three frames. The other was a box of bees that were queenless, but more about those later. The point is, I made a judgement on the bees based on experience that I've built up over the years, and it's something that you will develop as you do what I did, which is stumble my way through each season, making mistakes and hopefully trying to learn from them. Once again, I used the newspaper method. It's such a simple way of getting two colonies to settle together. The fun thing is checking back in on them a few days later and seeing how they chewed through the newspaper removed it all completely and so neatly that it leaves an exact square or rectangle cut out of the newspaper to the exact dimensions of the footprint of your hive. <laughs> In most cases that is, sometimes they get lazy, but for the most part they remove all of the newspaper and you'll doubtless find it on the floor outside the hive. I have been asked what to do with the various hive parts once they've been united. Well, surplus kit, floor, crown board and roof all go back to the workshop for a quick clean-up, but there's a choice to be made when you consider the united brood boxes. Do you leave them both in place for the winter, or scramble up the frames and take away one box? Well, like all the other beekeeping questions, there's a choice to be made. Let me explain. If I'm uniting two strong colonies that have fully drawn frames with plenty of stored honey and pollen in them, but I'm uniting them because one is queenless, I'll leave both boxes and feed to get as many of the empty frames filled up with stores as possible. I'll do this on all hive types, but particularly on nationals. I do find that sometimes bees in national hives just don't manage to hold enough food in their brood box, so any additional food is welcome. If I'm uniting two colonies because they're both small, I'll remove one queen, unite them, 
and once united, I'll break down the boxes and shuffle the frames between the two boxes in order to reduce it down to just one brood box. I first remove any frames of foundation. It's really too late in the day for a small colony to draw foundation. Remember, they need resources and to make wax they need a lot of it. It might be easier here to say what I keep rather than what I remove, so let's start again. Obviously, I want any brood that exists, so that's the first to be kept centrally in the brood box that I intend to keep, which is on the hive floor on its stand. So let's say each colony has just two frames of brood in all stages. That now gives me four frames of brood in all stages. I'm feeling happier about the situation already. Even happier once I see the queen and get her on a frame of brood in the brood box that I'm keeping. Next, I'm looking for frames of stores. That's pollen and honey. Let's say there's just a couple of those. The rest are a jumble of foundation, badly drawn comb, and older, darker comb that could really do with being replaced. What I'll tend to do is keep the older drawn comb and feed the bees, anticipating that they'll fill the older combs which are towards the outside of the brood box and can be removed easily next spring when I want to start replacing those old combs. Job done. Add a feeder, remove all the leftover frames and get them back to base to clean it all up. That's the best setup that I can leave those bees with to help them through the winter. This process continues throughout the apiary until I'm happy I've given them the best possible chances of seeing out the cold months, and I'll do that in all apiaries. That's the time that I do a count of the colonies that are going into the winter. It also means I shouldn't really see any winter losses due to colony strength or through starvation. The recent warmer weather we've been having has meant a flurry of calls regarding swarms, and I've even had one of my own colonies swarm on me. I think I may have been partly responsible though, in that I was attempting to get the colony to draw more frames. It was a national hive, and I'd moved the queen up into the second brood box on a frame of emerging brood, added a feeder to get them to draw the second brood box, and I thought that was job done. A kind of Bailey comb change, if you like. Only the intention was to keep both boxes on board until the spring. Well, the bees had a different idea. Rather than draw additional frames of foundation for their queen to lay eggs in, they simply got her somehow through the queen excluder between the two boxes, threw up a dozen or so queen cells and were off. Fortunately, it was a clipped queen, so the vast majority of the bees ended back in the hive, but I've no idea where the queen ended up. With this scenario, I decided to unite the colony with another queen-right colony, rather than allow them to produce a new queen. The reason for this is that my own personal experiences of late September matings are that they very rarely get through the winter and turn into drone layers at some point around the new year. This is mostly due to poor matings, with a much reduced number of drones being available for mating at this time of the year. The poor boys are being kicked out of the colonies at a rapid rate now, and so successful matings are much more unlikely than compared to the spring or summer matings. So the colony was united with another Queenright colony, and I'll be leaving it as a double brood national setup to overwinter. At this time of the year, my thoughts begin to turn towards planning for next season. 
We had a hugely successful period of sales of nukes in the spring this year, which created its own set of problems for me, but we're all set to repeat that for spring 2022. The nukes that we've got are strong and well-fed right now, so I have every expectation that they'll be bursting out of the box once the weather warms up again in the spring. Our borage experiment was everything I could have wished for, really. The production colonies performed really well, and the strength generally of all the colonies was excellent. Those smaller colonies that were building back up to strength after spring splits were able to maximise brood and fill frames with stores rapidly, although the weather wasn't perfect. We had some excellent days inspecting, but it never really settled completely, so there were days when I suspect all the nectar collected from previous foraging was eaten. As a first time on borage, I would definitely say it went well for us. We had a couple of scares on the drive down and back, but otherwise I'm happy overall with our work. The good news is we've been asked to go back and make it an ongoing relationship, which works really well for us. I just need wider straps and a cargo net big enough to cover the entire load. Then I'll feel I have a belt and braces set up that will give me the confidence when I'm hauling the trailer. Something that completely failed to take off this year was my queen rearing plans. I mean, it was a complete non-starter really. We made lots of splits and produced some decent queens from swarm cells, possibly the easiest method of queen rearing, but the planned queen rearing apiary just didn't happen. Now, you'll remember I keep banging on about a colony needing to have enough resources to get everything done. Well, the same rules apply to the beekeeper. You can't split colonies if they're not strong enough. You can't make up nukes if you don't have the boxes for them to go into. And you can't keep multiple plates spinning as a beekeeper if you don't have enough hands. I simply ran out of time. As a result, we ended up buying in probably more queens than I would normally like to do. And, again, that's a drain on resources. Cash flow in this instance. So the plan for next year is to put queen rearing and colony increase at the top of the list for spring and focus on the borage crop for our main honey production. I've no doubt we'll get a decent crop of oilseed rape honey. Our honey pour hives are surrounded by the stuff this autumn and as long as the pigeons don't get to it I'm sure it will do well. Interestingly the farmer has sown it with a companion crop called buckwheat. I understand that the beetles that do so much damage to the rape crop are attracted to the buckwheat instead of the oilseed rape at this crucial development stage and it gives the small rape plants a chance to establish themselves ready for the long wait until next spring. It always amazes me how those scruffy little oilseed rape plants of late February turn into such tall healthy yellow flowered plants in May. More of my plans as they develop over the coming weeks and months. Well, that's it for this week. I'll catch up with you all again next time. But for now, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Yeah.